Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Damien. Hey, how you going? Welcome back to the podcast. This is your first time back since, I believe, Constantine's City of Demons. That's correct, yep. Today's topic, Men in Black, the movie from 97. Protecting the Earth from the Scum of the Universe. Remember that tagline? I do, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. More secretive than the CIA, more powerful than the FBI, and they're looking for a few good men, they are the Men in Black. The film stars Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith as two agents of a secret organisation called the Men in Black, who supervise extraterrestrial life forms who live on Earth and hide their existence from ordinary humans. If you have not yet watched Men in Black but you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review, we will be talking spoilers. When did you first watch this movie? Don't know for sure. It would have been on VHS in the late 90s, probably 98. So 97 on the big screen. So yeah, so yeah. six months to a year is yep. when it had come out on video. It, it wouldn't have been at the cinemas. I didn't see it then, yeah. Back then, I wasn't watching too many movies at the cinema, so I was waiting for VHS. I remember the day this was released, picked it up, new release on video cassette. And they were doing this thing like we've got, we had Woolworths in the UK since gone, but what they would do is they would pair a new release video with an older title for £2.99. And the movie that I chose to pair it with was a double feature, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. And then you've got the Sony connection there. But I distinctly remember just picking up Men in Black. I'd been so excited about watching it. And back then, being such a big fan. Okay. And this was just after, or a couple of years after Independence Day, wasn't it? I'm not sure actually if this was if before or after. It wasn't Independence Day '95 or round about there? I thought it was but later. Give, but give or take, but I remember at that time we had Will Smith, The Fresh Prince. Yes. And now did. he was the action hero, Aliens. Independence Day was '96. Right. Full disclosure. Damien did look that up. But I you're did, right. I did 1996. So a year off. Okay, so he did it a year before Men in Black. He did. So he was the action hero alien guy. He was. Before the movie, Men in Black was a comic book. The full title, The Men in Black. The movie is loosely based on that comic. It was created by Lowell Cunningham and Sandy Carruthers, originally published by Airsoul Comics. Airsoul would later be bought out by Malibu Comics, which itself was bought out by Marvel Comics. I seem to recall Malibu Comics being credited on my VHS. That's how I always remembered it. But watching the Blu-ray for this, Marvel Comics. I think there's a lot of people out there that won't realise that Men in Black is actually a Marvel comic property, or at least now, because they bought it. And I was one of those people until just recently. I, I totally didn't make the connection that Men in Black was based on a comic book property. So this... And it surprised me, yeah. So coming off, we're getting the sequel slash reboot. We've got Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson. This is going to be their second Marvel film. I guess, yes. Thor Ragnarok together, yeah. and now they're doing Men in Black International. So all these years later, we're getting a fourth movie. Do you think it'll have the Marvel logo before that I don't opens think up? It, well, I don't know. I don't, maybe. 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 I mean, it's Sony, so maybe they'll do the thing they do for Venom in association with Marvel. They'd have to. 
I mean, it's only going to help this movie, but they've not had that anywhere in the marketing. Going back to the comic, there were three issues published in 1990 with another three the following year. And then there were when Marvel Comics got the rights, they had a tie-in comic to the movie and they did a couple of one-off issues as well. Cunningham had the idea for the comic once a friend of his introduced him to the concept of government men in black upon seeing a black van riding the streets. In the comic, it wasn't just aliens werewolves vampires it was, it was supernatural much in scope. yeah it was yeah. more supernatural and did you know that cunningham actually appears briefly as a short sleeve men in black officer in the movie i did read about his cameo yes i also read about his cameo so i can't tell you where it is <laughs> but if you're if you go back and watch it after this review he's one of the guys with short sleeves sat in the office the film spawned two sequels, Men in Black 2 in 2002 and Men in Black 3 in 2012. A spin-off film, Men in Black International, as we've talked about already, is due out this year. And in 1997 until 2001, there was an animated series. I've recently gone back to sample it, and I, fell, I feel as though I fell down the rabbit hole because I am thoroughly enjoying this series. How would you compare it to... It's got the tone of the movie, so it's got the wackiness. Uh, there is so, some actors reprise their roles. You feel that connection, but it does disregard the ending because it, it follows on from Men in Black, but it ignores the ending where Kay gets the mind wipe. So okay. in the show, like they're just two agents together. The animated together. series follows the two male agents. It does. At the end of the movie, we're introduced to Agent L, whereas in the animated series, she's an agent already with blonde hair. They changed it up slightly. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen Men in Black 2, but am I right in thinking that after the mind wipe in this first movie, what Jay has to do is remind Kay That's of who correct. he really is. That's and, part of the plot. And isn't that the plot for Kingsman 2? It is. That is, isn't it? <laughs> it's the same plot. I didn't realise they've done the same plot. But you know, movies, it happens. So with this first movie then, we're following a police officer who joins a secret organisation that polices and monitors extraterrestrial interactions on Earth. Talking a bit about the box office, because I was curious, I knew it was a hit when it came out, but I didn't know the specifics. The film was released on July 2nd in 97 by Columbia Pictures and grossed over 589.3 million worldwide against a 90 million budget, becoming the year's third Highest grossing film. A budget of 90 million. Very surprised. It is. It's, it's good numbers. I think I read somewhere that it was the highest grossing buddy cop or buddy partnership adventure film ever. And it is. It's a buddy cop movie with aliens. Yes. The success of the film inspired Marvel, who by 97 owned the property, to option other properties for development later collaborating with Columbia Pictures to produce Spider-Man in 2002, among other projects. So this is a, a, a positive example of a Hollywood comic book adaption, making big bucks and people taking notice and spawning the comic book movie phenomenon we, we see today. Yeah, I mean, the toys, the tie-in video games, I mentioned the comics already, like this movie was absolutely huge. And going off what I just said there, we've got, this movie 
to thank for Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi, that movie is happening because of the success of this movie. Tonally, there's similarities between the Spider-Man films and the Men in Black franchise in in terms of the comedy and the humour. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's it's there. And that's and that was what Raimi was kind of known for. I mean, he started with The Evil Dead, which was a straight-up horror movie, and he made that movie because that's what he could afford to make. And then when he did Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, it was a lot more comedic and you got more Raimi coming through. And it's that style, that tone that you get in the Spider-Man films. Yes, for sure. In this movie, then, we have Will Smith as James Darrell Edwards III, also known as Agent J. Because that's the whole thing with the Men in Black, isn't it? Agent. They become an agent and they just have an initial. I don't remember happening in the movie, but what I've read afterwards is that their pasts are erased. They have no paper trail existence. Right, okay, that makes more sense. So I was thinking their memories... Okay, it's not until they've finished being an agent that their memories get erased. They don't don't exist as people in terms of, you know, social security numbers, etc. So his career as a cop, he's just gone. Yes. So he was a former NYPD member. That's when we see him at the beginning... He's the new recruit, so we're seeing the men in black through through his eyes. The recruitment process was quite novel in the film. You know, I always think of that process when I think of job interviews. <laughs> and it was the just dragging the table towards where he sat. <laughs> the awkward squeak, squeak and that's the, the table. Out of anything that happens in this movie, that's what stayed with me. Oh. The aliens at the end playing with mobiles and Earth is one of them. I forgot that happened. Same, until watching it again. But I remembered the squeaking of the table. That stayed with me. It's just the whole awkward trying to write on paper without anything to lean on and pens going through. And And that's it. And you've essentially gathered around the room. You've got best of the best. You know, military, you've got Air Force, police, everybody's there. Well... Only Will Smith was police, only agent. Yeah, but only he was the police. Yeah, but then, yeah, because it, it seems like everybody was from somewhere else. Yeah. But in like a similar high-ranking and position. One of, one of them was there because he was the best of the best of the best. But not best enough. Not best enough. Uh, Will Smith being cast in this movie, it was the director, Barry Sonnenfield's wife, who first mentioned him for the role. She was a fan of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, I think... We all are worth a fan, I, I a fan of that show. A lot of nineties shows I didn't bother with. The, the Fresh Prince, I've never seen an episode. Oh, it's really good. It is really good. Let's hit pause. You go watch Fresh Prince <laughs> and then we'll we'll pick it up. <laughs> and we're back. We're so what back. Fresh Prince, what do you like? <laughs> I'm speechless without words for the Fresh Prince. Uh, the movie Six Degrees of Separation. That's the movie that Will Smith wasn't the lead, but he did have a role in and that's what Barry Sonnenfeld the director saw him in and thought you know what let's cast him in this movie I've not seen that film either I haven't seen that film but I have seen Fresh Prince you really do need to watch Fresh Prince but we can do that later I think it's the pants it's the the big oh, it was the pants. 90s. it was the, the parachute 90s. pants it's a good show but it's a show that I grew up on so I think coming to it as an adult today maybe it wouldn't work as much because it is very much like a 90s sitcom so if you're not, if you wasn't into it then, I doubt you're going to be into it now. But you can um, always watch Men in Black again if you want to watch a good Will Smith performance. 
Uh, Chris O'Donnell, he turned down the role. He thought it was too similar to Dick Grayson in Batman Forever. Um, A few other people turned it down as well. David Schwimmer was asked to play the role. Could you imagine the film if David Schwimmer, Ross from Friends? I like David Schwimmer, but he very much is Ross from Friends in most things. Yes. I think Will Smith was was a good casting choice for the film. And in the comic, he was... His character was white with blonde hair, so they obviously went in a different direction. They're casting a African American actor, but I can't imagine anyone else other than Will Smith standing beside Tommy Lee Jones, who's giving like the most Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones performance in this movie. Like he's just, he's just so dry in his delivery. It was a very good pairing. I, I sort of couldn't help compare watching Men in Black last night to Ripped, which was a similar movie that came out a few years ago, which didn't do too well. Uh, I which... did not like that. Jeff Bridges, Ryan Reynolds. And I, I did watch it thinking, oh, this is going to be concept, like Men in Black. The concept of it it, it, it sounded like it could work, but it just didn't have the same but chemistry. But that was as, as... Supernatural, wasn't it? It was. And it was like Ripped, so it was like Rest in Peace Department. Yes. Yeah. But no, the Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith chemistry was quite spot on. So as I say, we're getting a grizzled and humorless performance from Tommy Lee Jones, but that just balances out perfectly with Will Smith's wide-eyed performance. Well, he hadn't been. There, there was, Will Smith brings his youth, his uh, his um, enthusiasm to the role, and he, he's obviously got a very upbeat and positive attitude. Whereas I think Tommy Lee Jones' character, Agent K. You learn through the film that he's got some regrets, maybe some life choices he wish he made differently. You know, with the Men in Black, like the organisation, they've got all this advanced technology. Yes. But did you notice how long it took for Agent K to zoom in on his ex-girlfriend? You know, he's watching, he's checking up on her, and he's like, he's pressing the button, he zooms in. He presses the button, he zooms in. Then we go away and we spend some time with Agent J... And then we go back, and Kay is just finishing zooming in. But that that might have been the dial-up modem connection. Very well could be, but I think what I'm finding funny there is the fact that it's advanced for them. Well, they they um, assimilate um, alien technology into their own. And I mean, I could learn just, that they use imagine, alien like, technology to introduce things. Google Earth today. Mm. You're doing it a lot quicker than you Agent are, K was are. back in '97. But still, I did like the look of the headquarters, how it looked like an airport because you had aliens coming in and leaving the departure, the arrival terminals, and the the 60s design that they had to that as well. It's when the Men in Black was formed, so they've kept that design and then technology has advanced as they've gone along. But visually, I really like the look of it. And all the different aliens walking around as well. It's quite slick. So do you know with the effects, and we just comment on these quickly, whether... It was CGI or puppets? Both. Both. They had Rick Baker doing the monster effects. Rick Baker's done like oh, so many different properties. I believe he did Hellraiser as well. He was kind of known for that. And he was doing he did a lot more like monsters and like horror. But what was happening with this, they started with puppets and then they realized there were some things they couldn't quite get. So they brought in industrial light and magic to tie it up. So you had some transitions. When you got the big finale with Edgar the bug, the big cockroach, initially that was going to be a puppet. They built it from scratch, but they thought as though, because really there's not that much action in this movie. 
It stop starts a little bit, but it's not until you get to that third act that you get your big action piece. So when they had the puppet being the size of a man, the threat just didn't seem big enough. So that's when they transitioned and the brought in Industrial Light and Magic. So it's a combination of the two, but where they could, it, it was practical effects and puppets. Because I, I thought for an older film, we're talking nearly 20 years, the special effects, the, the puppets, it worked for me today, like by today's standards. And I think if it had been all CGI, I think it would have been not as enjoyable today. Look at The Mummy Returns, when The Rock becomes the Scorpion King. It is horrendous. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's The Rock's face matted onto that CGI head and and it really dates it, but then... But you come, and that came after. Uh, early. The first Mummy movie was 99, so Mummy Returns would have been at least around 2001. When I think of bad CGI, I think of the, the, the woman's head morphing in Total Recall when she's going through security. I mean, that's even older, but yeah. yeah. But that's, that's what I tend to think of. But you're right, though, that having practical effects, using puppets, it doesn't date this movie as much no. as if it was all CGI. Uh, just with Tom Lee Jones, so he signed on to this movie because he, he actually liked the comics. And we've talked about already how the comics are different to the movie. And when uh, Tom Lee Jones, he read whether it's the first draft or the second draft of the script, he said it stank. Yeah, he wasn't, wasn't a fan. And he felt as though it didn't capture the tone of the comic. But he did stay on board because of Spielberg's track record and Steven Spielberg is an executive producer on this film there is so many impressive things about this movie's credits you know whether it's Rick Baker Industrial Light and Magic Steven Spielberg you've got Barry Sonnenfeld directing Danny Elfman on the score there's so many impressive things about this film well all these impressive things obviously added up to the return at the box office yeah definitely quality, quality cast people making a film we have Linda Florentino as Dr. Laurel Weaver, later known as Agent L for about three minutes at the end of the movie where she becomes an agent. She starts off as a deputy medical examiner who has had a few run-ins with the Men in Black in the past. And she's had many mind wipes over the years. And it sounds like most of them from Kay. Yes. And Will Smith, Agent J, expresses concerns about um, long-term side effects of mind wipes, which they seem pretty ambivalent about. And for me, the most memorable part of her in this movie is the joke with Edgar the Bug in human form under the table and she's trying to get Jay's attention pointing downstairs. Downstairs, that's right. And that's the gag. And Jay obviously thinks, being a bloke, that she's referring to something else. And that she's coming on to him. Yeah. But that's what I remember most about her. I mean, she does play a part. I was hoping to see her in the sequel and I was disappointed, to be honest. But as I said earlier, if you want to see more of that character, the animated series, you can see more of her there. There's some trivia surrounding how she got the role. I did hear about this. Apparently she won it in, in a game of poker against the director. She won a role. like She won, so he got, she got the part. So I'm assuming they must have been acquaintances or friends outside of the movie and they've got together i would assume so she did it but then said that she wouldn't do any nude scenes good well they weren't didn't, needed didn't need no didn't innuendo innuendos only we've got vincent d'onofrio as edgar the bug wow 
For me, for I me going would, back... I would not have known it was him. Would not have known. No, for me, going back and watching this film and sort of seeing who the cast was and, and seeing that Vincent D'Onfrio, um, obviously Kingpin from Daredevil was in this film in an earlier, younger role. So if you didn't know, now you know who we're talking yes. about. Yes. Um, he, he was the highlight of watching this film again after so many years, watching his performance as a bug. As recent as yesterday, I saw a meme online with his character. Just like, and he was referring to the day after leg day. Yeah, he he went all out. He um, I guess he he, he method acted it as much as he could. To what's it like to be a bug? How do bugs move? Um, I I read that he like braced his knee so he couldn't bend his knees and taped his ankle so he had to walk funny with straight legs. As well as acting as though he's restricted, he really was restricted. And then he's he's doing that voice, which. He's actually on the animated series. They brought him back in every alien bug on he's that on show. Is, is him. There's some delightful scenes where he's trying to pretend to be a human, but he's in the truck and he's trying to position his body and puts his sort of elbow up on the side of the door and trying to look, look casual. And he's just so awkwardly. It's brilliant. Brilliant. There's so many reasons for me why this movie still works today. And you've got strong leads in your main cast and you've got a great villain. Yes. You've got a good hero, good villain, you've got a good movie. And we're getting a really good performance from him. Really, really memorable. We've got Rip Torn as Chief Zed, the head of MIB. Rip Torn was excellent. He was very good in the role. Um, it was. Bringing the, the gravitas and yeah. the seriousness that was required for being the head of the MIB. And him and Agent K had good rapport. And then... Them being together, it set up that line, hey, old guys, when Jay gets their attention. <laughs> yeah, that still worked for me. Tony Shalub, he's in this as Jack Jeeps, the guy in the pawnbroker store, gets his head blown off and then it grows back. And that's a young Jay, or before he's Agent Jay, when he's still a cop, and he's seen at first hand that there's more going on than what he realises in the city. He freaks out, doesn't he? He pulls. I mean, his you gun. would do that, wouldn't you? He pulls he draws his, gun his gun on, gun. on the other agent, and he doesn't know what's going on. Uh, that was that wasn't our first entry as viewers into the world, though. No, we saw something earlier, but it's almost like he brushed that off. Like he'd seen. He well, he, no, he didn't really brush it off because he saw somebody scale the outside of a building. But yes, yes, this is the second incident for him. Yep. Yeah, and that actor as well, Shalob, he also features in the animated series. So him and D'Onofrio are the two actors that come back in that show. And Jack Jeeps is in a couple of episodes. Like it was even in, I think, episode two that I rewatched last night. So he's back. His character. Looks similar. His character looks similar and sounds the same. So it's what you want. When it's a continuation, it's good that it feels a little bit familiar. Mike Nussbaum, he's in this as Gentleman Rosenberg. He's the Arkrillian jeweler who's the guardian of the galaxy that has the cat, Orion, and the galaxy is on Orion's belt. I've always liked that. They're trying to find it, and it's on the cat the whole time. What's really interesting about this character, originally they had a scene in a bar, and this is before Rick Baker was fully involved, and there was a scene at a bar, and he was to be an alien. And for us to see as the audience that it was an alien, it would lift up the skin on his neck and a bright light would shine out. And that was the extent of him being an alien would go. Rick Baker's like, 
if we're going to do a movie about aliens living among us, among us aliens looking different, we need to go bigger. And for that, for the um, bartender, he designed the little alien in the head operating the body like an animatronic. They liked the design that much. They changed it around and had it be used for Gentleman Rosenberg instead. Okay. I mean, what a design. It's so unique to Men in Black. Like, you see that design, the little grey alien in the head. You think Men in Black. The little staples by the ear. It was very immersive. The scene was executed so well that it did nothing but play as it should and draw you in and you are convinced that that's really what's going on. There's a little man inside a big man's head and he's pulling strings to make him work. Unfortunately, I thought I did, but I've not noted the actor's name, but I'm referring to Lurch in the Adams Family films. And he's in the scene in the restaurant with Rosenberg. Yes, he's also, you... also the giant in Twin Peaks. Okay, right. So, I mean, I just knew him as Lurch. He... And that's maybe why I don't have his name written down, because he will always be Lurch to me. He was but... Lurch in the Adams Family films, not the TV show? Or... Yes, yeah, so the first movie in 91, he came back in 93 for Values, and the reunion movie in 98. So he's in all three yeah. of them. But straight away, it's like, that's Lurch. He's... <laughs> to see them standing next to each other, he's, he's got probably nearly two foot height, more. Two feet higher than, than the other actor. He's a huge man. It really works because if we're talking aliens in human disguises, I really like that they've, they've got somebody that is just naturally tall. Yes. Like Chewbacca. Yes. Let's get a tall actor. Richard Hamilton, we see him briefly in the beginning of the movie, is Agent D. He's Kay's partner, and then he decides that he's too old for this. And it's not until the end of the movie we find out that Kay wasn't training up Jay to be his new partner, but his replacement. That's right. The Agent D character arc at the beginning of the film was foreshadowing for how the film ends. It is, it is. It fits together nicely. But when it does end, though, I will, we'll get to the costume shortly, but I just want to give a shout-out to how awful that new suit is that Agent J wears. You know the whole thing about Men in Black, the last suit you'll ever wear? Yeah. And then Jay goes and gets a custom suit at the end? I know what they're doing. I know they're letting Jay put his own stamp ah, yes. on his costume. It was the shirt or his color. Suit, the shirt color. That was and different. no tie. Yeah, no tie. Hate it. I hated it back then. And then watching it for the movie, for the podcast, sorry. Still hate it now. Now, the thing about the Men in Black classic suit and glasses is that it's one of the easiest film costumes to cosplay at a convention. And I used to see a lot of people cosplaying as Men in Black in earlier shows, but not so much these days. I'm guessing that will It'll probably change. With it the will new come film. back with with international. I guess the designer Mary E. Vott, her concern would be that the suits would just look like the Blues Brothers, which I did read that John Landis, John Landis was, was approached it. to direct this movie, but turned it down because he thought it was too much like the Blues Brothers, only with aliens. With aliens. <laughs> So she went in a slightly different direction, inspired by Cary Grant's classic grey suit in North by Northwest. And that came out in 1959, and they were going for a 60s look. So it, it works. It is a classic-looking black suit, until Will Smith ruins it at the end. Should we comment about this? the glasses, the sunglasses? I think we should. The sunglasses used by the Men in Black are the Ray-Ban Predator 2 glasses. After the film's release, Ray-Ban reported that sales of these glasses tripled from 1.6 million 
to 5 million. That is a lot of cosplay. Or <laughs> people just just walking around wearing them. Do you think this this is just a coincidence that um do you think Ray-Ban would have had anything to do with it ahead of it? Like, let's sponsor them, let's let us let them use our glasses in the film, then that would increase sales? Or do you think it's just one of those happenstance things? I think it's a, maybe it's a happenstance because for Ray-Ban and for Sony, they didn't know how big Men in Black was going to be. So they would have approached them. I mean, years later in 2000, we had uh, James Marsden as Cyclops also wearing Ray-Ban. And I'm pretty sure they spiked in popularity as well at the have. time. Yep. But the sunglasses, they work. Because, I don't know, I've got this thing. I don't like it when people wear sunglasses indoors. It's kind of a douchey thing to do, but I know some people do it. But Men in Black, there's a reason. It's part of the whole get-up. It's, it's part of the... It's, it's protection the as well. The glasses protect them when they flash people's memories. That's, what, that's how I remembered it. But when watching it now, I think it is to protect their eyes from the flash, but I always took it, it also protects them from having their mind wiped, their minds wiped as well. But they specifically say, look in the front, it only works from the front. So when they stand behind and it's got the little dials for the years, the months, the days, or however the breakdown yeah. is, when you're behind the device, it only points forward. So I think the reason why they put the sunglasses on, it's just because of the glare. It's not actually protecting them from, from the actual... having their mind wiped. Okay. But I did always take it as being that it works 360. Yeah. But with this rewatch, it's definitely just facing forward. And uh, the only other person I wanted to refer to by name, David Cross, is Newton. He works at the morgue. I like David Cross. Arrested Development. You know, he's, he's always fun. Ah, oh, yes. But he's the guy that gets stuck to the ceiling before the innuendo scene between oh. Jay and L. Yep, that's where I know him from. So tonally then, it's very much a sci-fi action horror comedy. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's um, not, not quite a parody, but it's, it's a humorous buddy cop. Versus aliens. It is. I think the tone works perfectly. I mean, with the comic, it sounded like if it was a faithful adaption, it would have been a a completely different thing entirely. And Will Smith wouldn't have been a good fit for it at that time because it's before he did The Pursuit of Happiness and and the dramas that he's done later in his career. No, it had to play the way they played it. If it was any funnier or slapstick, it wouldn't wouldn't have worked. And if it was sort of leaned towards this too serious as a sci-fi, then the gags wouldn't have worked either. So it was a nice balance, both. But I think if you were to take, even if you took away the jokes in this, and you still had the story and the effects, it'd still be an entertaining movie. Yeah, the jokes are a bonus. It's not a device to to have these gags. And there's a lot of sight gags. And, you know, it's one of those movies where you keep coming back to it and you're going to recognise or pick up on different things. I remember the first time that I watched it, it happened so quickly. I missed all the gags at the Men in Black headquarters and it had all the different celebrities on the screen, like this person's an alien. So if you look at it, there's uh, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and various other people. It's Sylvester Stallone. Yes, Stallone's in there. there. And they repeated that gag in the later movies as well, just updated it. I think the second one had Michael Jackson and... Like various other people as well. This was back in 2002. Elvis wasn't on the board, but they did say later on that he hadn't died and he'd gone back to his home planet. That's it. Yeah, and there's that scene 
in in the car and Jay is listening to Elvis. So you actually get another Elvis. Yeah, that's where we say the line. Yeah, that Elvis actually, he's not dead. He went home. I'm going to call it now. In this new international movie, they're going to do that gag again because it works. I reckon Lady Gaga. I mean, she's she's an easy one, but I reckon Gaga's going to be up there. But that's because it's true. (laughs) Well, because she really is an alien. Yeah, I reckon she'll be up there. I don't think they'll put Trump up there. And maybe they'll go some more obscure ones. That's, that's an insult to aliens everywhere, isn't it? Tell you what a fun one would be with the Marvel connection if they had a picture of Kevin Feige. That would be pretty cool. So we've talked about the special effects already, but just to focus a bit more on Rick Baker, I was curious about the actual process and specifically the design of Edgar the Bug. He actually took six hours each day to transform D'Onofrio into Edgar. So all those prosthetics that are going on, they used silk swatches that were glued to D'Onofrio's cheeks and tied around the back of his head to stretch his face. So he had this alien look about him the whole time before we get the full reveal at the end. So the way that you mentioned the leg braces, the way that he's moving, the way that he's looking, like everything is just constricted. But in the film, his wife makes the comment that he's his skin looks loose on his bones. And it actually does. His skin looked like it was hanging over a skeleton rather than being properly attached. It's pretty eerie looking stuff. Oh, I, thought, I thought we forgot somebody. Siobhan Fallon Hogan. She plays his wife, Beatrice. And I've, she's somebody, I cannot quite put my finger on it, but I've seen her somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know where, but I've seen her. And the fact that she... She's in it for a small amount of time, but she does make an impression that she's somebody, isn't she? She's somebody from something. Maybe she's worked with the director before, but I've just got the impression watching it again that she's definitely known for somebody. Like she's, she feels she's, a little bit like probably stunt casting. A, a B character from a sitcom that we, we know and love, probably. I don't know. I, did, I didn't look it up. The scene with her being interviewed by the agents when they go back to the farm, that was... Um, a bit of a character development for us learning what Agent J, Will Smith, is like. And he, he has this thing where he wants to give her a better memory rather than just, you know, wipe her memory and have her forget. He, he gives her a, a happy ending, if you will. And I think this is very um, important for the audience to understand where Agent J is coming from with empathy and uh, kindness, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a very tight movie, isn't it? It run, It's just a little bit over 90 minutes. It's, yeah. So it makes sense for what you're saying there that, Every scene counts. It does. It, there's no there's no fat in this film, to use a phrase. But she gives a really good delivery. You know, maybe I've seen in a Tim Burton movie. There's, there's something. There's something. And maybe we can look into that later. You're thinking off Beetlejuice, probably. I don't know. There's, there's something. When Jay is given that weapon, the cricket, and the whole joke is that it's small, but it packs a punch, each time he used it, I'm just thinking, that is a really impractical weapon. Every time that he used him, because he's, he's falling backwards through windscreens, he's falling into rubbish cans. The recoil on it is massive, and it's an impractical weapon, you're right. But it's a sight gag, and, it, and it, it's funny. It works. It is. It's just impractical. So instead of laughing along with it this time, I'm like, that is just so impractical. And the high-pitched whine the neuralizer makes when it flashes is the sound of a strobe flashes capacitor recharging. It's a nerdy thing. But I'm always interested, like, you know, you'll hear a particular sound and you just wonder, where, where did that come from? Like, what have they used to make that sound? 
and now we know that's what it is. And thanks to Damien, we now know that the actress was in Wayward Pines at some point. That's probably where I would have seen her recently. I did watch that show. I've already talked about the the design of the Men in Black base, referenced that the film does primarily take place in New York. Or is it all New York? Is it all New York? It was all New York. It wasn't originally going to be all New York, but the director felt that aliens, if they were going to live amongst us, would get away with it in New York. That's right, because you know it's full of people from all over the world. And everyone, in Transient. New York, everybody looks down, you know, man's own business, so you're not noticing like, this big alien guy beside you. There'll probably be a big, bigger um, acceptance and ability to overlook unusual behaviour and people. But originally, the film was going to be set in underground bases and locations, so we would have seen Kansas, Washington, D.C., Nevada. But yeah, so they streamlined it and just had it in New York, which I like. There's a that. lot about this movie that reminds me of Ghostbusters in a good way, and that New York connection as well. The music. This movie has a fantastic score. Danny Elfman, sounding just like Danny Elfman. The score I liked. I couldn't, couldn't fault the score. Danny Elfman did a great job. The actual songs that Will Smith performs, not my thing at all. Okay, the Men in Black song, as I'm driving over here to record... I was listening to it in the car, my head's going, love it. I loved it then, and I love it now. It is, it is a great song. There's another Will Smith song on the soundtrack as well, Just Cruising. Not my thing, but the Men in Black song. The theme song. Yeah, the Men in Black theme song. It is so good. And if you cast your mind back to the 90s, a lot of movies had that. You'd have the movie, you'd have a song that was recorded for the movie, and then clips of the movie in the music video. I miss I that. Think, I think that actually harkens back more to the 80s. Yeah, but, where, yeah, where but a, towards the end of the 90s, it started to fade off, didn't it? It did, towards the end of the 90s, for sure. Yeah, Will Smith was do, still doing it with Wild Wild West. Jim yeah. West, Desperado. No, you don't want that. Huh? <laughs> Why would you Will go Smith. there? <laughs> oh, because you know Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we've got the Men in Black song. Um, with the soundtrack, there were two different versions. In the US, they got a score and the album. In the UK, we just got the album. So the first track is the Men in Black song. The last two tracks, you get the opening theme, the end credits theme, Danny Elfman. And then the songs in between Danny Elfman and the Will Smith Men in Black song aren't my thing. I sampled it. (laughs) I was going through the soundtrack uh, the other day. And yeah, I've had that CD for a very long time. I remember when the movie first came out and I got the tape cassette of the Men in Black single. But then when it came out of CD, I got the whole album. So you got the single. I did, I did. Uh, and I was curious, because I remember liking the Men in Black song, but I couldn't really remember much about the song that Will Smith did for Men in Black 2. Okay. I remember he did one, but I couldn't remember how it went or what it was called. And is that because it's forgettable? It's a forgettable song? Yep, but now I've reminded myself it is Black Suits Coming, Nod Your Head. Well, It is not good. It is not good. Uh, Yes, that was on Men in Black 2, and it was also the first single on Smith's album, Born to Rain. So you've got two places you can look for that song. It's just not great. And then years later, when they did Men in Black 3, Will Smith did not do the music. It was Pitbull. (laughs) And I can't remember that either. The the Will Smith album, Born to Rain, as as in Rule, 
Or as in rain, as in... Uh, rain, as in rule. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we've weaved our way through most that we're due to talk about today. The rating, if you were going to put a number on it, rated out of five. I would rate it three and a half out of five. I think it stands up well today. It, it was quite groundbreaking at, the, at its time. Um, it may or may not have contributed to the success of X-Files, which came out, I think, 99. Yeah, yeah around about there, 99, X-Files. Yeah, three out of five. No, three, three and a half out of five. I'm going to come higher. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in with a really strong four. I had so much fun going back and revisiting this. Oh, I mean, it's four too low. Like, I, I do, I do really like it, and it is so far only seen the first three Men in Black movies. It's the best. It is. It is the best. I'd probably go one, three, two. I would go the same. But then the, the second one. Like I'm trying to think what happened in that and all I'm seeing is Johnny Knoxville with two heads. Yeah, I, I forget the second one. The third one I really liked because I, I really liked Josh Brolin. He did a good Agent doing, K. Doing a younger version. But I K. did miss Tom Lee Jones. What I like about these movies is them two together. And for most of that movie, we did just get Will Smith and Josh Brolin. But this movie though, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll stick with a four. A strong four out of five. And this movie... A strong really, nostalgic four out of five. Yeah, it, but it, it's... I think even if I came to it today, like the, the practical effects, the design, the look, the cast, like this film, it's just, it's really working. I'd recommend this movie to anybody. Yeah, I, I, I've seen this film twice. I saw it when it came out in, on VHS in, in 98, and I saw it again this week for this review. And the fact that I've given an older film a three out of five sort of stresses that it's, I think it's quite a good film by today's standards still. So that's it for our episode all about Men in Black. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Damien, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me again. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.